Hello, everyone. Hi there, folks. This is Amanda. And this is Rita. And you're listening to I, I Don't, Don't Know, Know Her, the podcast where we talk about women and other folks that you've probably never heard of. But you should have. And now you will. Mm-hmm. So we were having an interesting conversation and we were like, pause. We got to do this on <laughs> the show. <laughs> so introduce us. Okay. So caution. This is petty as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> we're bringing out the petty today. We're bringing out the petty today, which in... Side me lingers a 13-year-old mean girl. Um, and I was just telling Amanda that there's this person that I see on a regular basis where I was like, I just fucking don't like her. I, I kind of hate her. And I was like, there's no basis for it. It was just a couple of interactions that I've had with her. I've just been like, ugh. Yeah, she's not done any dirty deeds to no, you, right? No, but just like annoying and... Demanding. Demanding, rude. I guess mm-hmm. th- that's the one thing. It's just rude. And I, I think that like, when you say you have no reason, I feel like that's a reason. <laughs> okay. When people are rude, that's a reason. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Especially like, it's not a one-time thing. You've no. experienced rudeness from her... A few times. Yeah. And and so just to me, it just puts a bad taste in my mouth. And I didn't say anything um, because this person is a friend of another friend. And but I asked another friend, I was like, and I was very cautious. I was like, you, you, what do you think of her? (laughs) (laughs) And they were like, oh, she's the worst. I was like, yes, (laughs) little the worst. I was like, so validated that I wasn't the only one that felt like that. I think it's such a fine line. It's such a weird line, I think. Especially if you are on your own journey to being enlightened and more feminist. To be like, I just don't like this person for very petty reasons. Yeah, and it like I question myself. I'm like, is this like, are you just being immature or like <laughs> but I'm just I can't shake it. I was just like, no, I don't like this person. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I don't know if you like have anybody in your life where they walk in the room and you're just like, oh, just, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> there are people where I'm like, I just cannot stand you. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard if it's if, it, if it's a person where I get that vibe from them immediately and I just don't care for them. But I have but I have to figure out how to get along with them mm-hmm. <laughs> because they're friends with somebody or they're a partner of somebody that I am relatively close to. It is very difficult for me to do that to like try to jump that hurdle and not be petty and I think that shows a lot of personal growth <laughs> on my part <laughs> it is because it, sh- it shows that you're taking that step to well I'm gonna slow my roll for just a minute and I'm going to act like an adult like <laughs> I always think it's a good idea to examine what it is about that person that you don't like because often when I do that like which is hard and I don't care for it. <laughs> but when I do generally do that, where I like look at somebody, I'm like, okay, let me break this down. What is it about this person? I don't care for, <laughs> you know? And sometimes it's like stuff that I'm like, Phew, that's them problem. Mm-hmm. But occasionally it is a me problem. <laughs> occasionally it's like, yeah. Oh, I don't like this thing that person does. Cause I do that. <laughs> See, and that's a little bit, I was wondering because this, this woman is very like attention seeking mm. and I know I am because I'm a fucking star <laughs> <laughs> and I am that way like I do seek attention I, I love being like the funny person in the room or you know as a bartender you are like on stage sometimes mm-hmm. and you have to you know you're telling jokes you're working the room kind of thing so this person is very has sparkle like that and I was just kind of like I don't like it I don't Do you think that like you are, that there is a thing where you're like, this is the way I seek attention and therefore that's the acceptable way and the way she does it is a different way and it's therefore unacceptable? I guess I do now. (laughs) (laughs) Did I just push a little button there? (laughs) I think so. (laughs) Because uh, one of the things we talked about was this person's Instagram has some very like... And we did, we looked, we looked. (laughs) Look at me in these videos and I'm making all of these like sexy poses and... (laughs) Rita was like, she doesn't look like that in real life. <laughs> I think I said it probably four to five times. I was like, she didn't look like that. She does not look like that. And, you know, 
I think I get a little frustrated with people who do that on like Instagram or whatever because I real I really have a problem with people who are not authentic. Mm-hmm. Who like present something to the outside world or especially on social media that is not accurate to who they are in real life. Yeah. I just re- that just really gets under my skin. And I've had to really examine, like, what is it about that that bothers me? Why don't I like that inauthenticity? And that's the thing is, like, I really feel like she's fake. Mm-hmm. And and just, like, the rudeness, I think she's trying to, like, be this, like, oh, gosh, I don't even know how to describe it. I was just, like, trying to be rude because it looks cute kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And I'm just, like, that's not cute. You're just kind of being a rude person. Yeah. Like, could you stop? Like, you don't, I'm. I'm not here to check you out. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's it's like peacocking. Very much so, yes. You know, and I just don't, I don't care for that kind of garbage. Me neither. It just really gets under my skin when people are like, look at me, look at me. And not because like, I'm talented or I'm funny or I have really smart things to say, but because I want your attention for no reason because I should just get it. It's enti- I'm entitled to mm-hmm. it. And that, that entitlement is where I start to really get bothered by people. I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's just like, I should just be fawning over this person. And I'm just like, no, I, I don't like how you're you're displaying yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but also, so, and the hard part too is because it is a friend of a friend. And this person's like, oh, they're my best friend, you know? And I'm just like, ugh, what does that say about you? What do you even see in this person? Yeah. What, what is the basis of your relationship? Yeah, I think that's that's so hard because it's like some people have a relationship that is based on time. You know, they've been friends for a long time mm-hmm. and they maybe are completely different people, but they share this common background that connects them. For some people, they become friends because of some big shared event, mm-hmm. you know, that they, they were on a team together and they went through a lot of experiences on this team or... They had a traumatic event happen where they were both there, you know, and and then there are people who get along really well and are really close because they just happen to have a lot in common and they just gel. And that's yeah. like us. Yeah. Right? We never had a shared traumatic experience or a shared joyful experience. No. That brought us together. We haven't known each other since we were kids. No. We have that third one, that connection where it's like we just gel. Mm-hmm. We happen to have a lot in common. We never run out of things to talk about, <laughs> as this podcast yeah. shows. <laughs> <laughs> and I always am curious about, like, what is it that's pulling two people together that, in mm-hmm. my view, shouldn't ever work? It's, and it's like, who am I to say? <laughs> I know. It's not my fucking job. It's none of my business. <laughs> I need to get my nose out of their shit. But it's like, I, st- I, I still, I think that's a he- lifelong struggle. And I think it's especially a lifelong struggle if you were not a popular girl when you were growing up. And I was not. Who was? <laughs> Certainly nobody who listens to this podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> we're all just a little bit kooky. <laughs> a little too much, a little too loud, a little too yeah. this. That's why we get along. Yeah. I think that's what makes people um, advocate for and ally with and stand up for marginalized people because mm-hmm. we were always a little bit marginalized no matter what. Yeah. Even if it was just like you liked the wrong book. <laughs> you wore the wrong book. clothes. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. like, you know, I can't believe you're reading that, those like anime books, you know? Yeah. It's like <laughs> something made you just slightly different from the people who decided what was different. And this is what like kind of irks me about the pettiness of, because I did admit, you know, last night I was Instagram stalking, just taking a look <laughs> and I was like judging all of it. And so that's why I was talking about it today. Cause I'm just like, my God, like it's really petty, but I feel like I'm right. <laughs> <laughs> I also think that there is, I, I think none of us ever truly outgrow that initial experience of feeling outcasted Mm. and the way, the way we are taught socially that you become an in cast (laughs) is to, is to find out what's different in someone else Mm -hmm. and what you don't like about them Mm -hmm. and then just poke at it. And like, I think it's really difficult to mature out of that and to grow out of it completely because here we are in our mid thirties and we're like, Oh my God, did you see that filter she used? 
long journey of like trying not to be assholes. Yeah. We're working on it. We're we're working on it. <laughs> we're works in progress. But for real, you can be petty sometimes. Like it's okay. It's not Once harming. Once in a while. It's not harming just her. She doesn't know. Pepper it throughout your life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think as long as it's not like actually harming somebody. Yeah. That's you know? like, and I would not, I would not like when I was a teenager. Oh my God. Oh yeah. I did so many mean things. Like. So many mean so things. So many mean things. I didn't like a girl and I threw a soda on her car <gasps> and it ba- it baked during the day so it ruined her paint job oh no yeah that's not good and she knew it was me because we were having like a feud and so she goes to the dean and the dean pulls me into the office and principal's there and they're like rita you know she's accusing you of throwing the pop on her car damn it (laughs) did you do that and i dead stared her in the eye and i said i don't know what you're talking about <gasps> yeah. Oh, Rita. <laughs> she was like, she's lying. <laughs> you were just gaslighting the fuck out of her. Oh, yeah. That's not cool. Yeah. Yeah. You got some sins to pay for now. I do. <laughs> All right. That's what I did trying to be. And it worked out in the end. I did apologize. It was the end of senior year. And I was like, dude, I was a bitch. Like, I'm sorry. Like, because she friendly asked me, like, what the fuck is your problem? She's like, I don't know why you hate me so much. And I kind of had forgot why. <laughs> like, why I didn't like her so it much. It was so petty you couldn't even remember the reason. <laughs> Blocked it out of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I have... I, I, that I ever did anything that actually caused, like, damage. Physical damage. But um, I definitely <laughs> really hurt a girl. And it was in an effort to deflect attention from myself okay i had been really just bullied beyond belief for the way i looked and i the a whole bunch of my classmates had nicknamed me rat mm. and they would like say it under their breath all the time when i like walk by they would make these little mouth noises that were supposed to be like i guess rats eating <laughs> okay. cheese or something yeah. i don't know and uh you know, we had this girl in our class, and also I, I also wanted to be funny. I like yeah. really wanted to be people, you know, someone who people thought was funny. And we had this girl in our class who was just very small and had like our freshman year started to sprout boobs, but they were like the kind that I sprouted in like fifth grade. No, oh, whoa! <laughs> and so I made this joke about them looking like mosquito bites, hmm. and. It took off. Yeah. And they nicknamed her Skeeter. Oh, no. And all the way till graduation. Oh, fuckers no. Fuckers called her Skeeter and it was all my fault. Ugh. And I will never, I will never not feel shitty about it because like that was awful and I shouldn't have said that. I didn't know, obviously, that it was going to be like a wildfire running through the, yeah. running through the prairie. <laughs> but there we have it. You know, it became her like moniker Ooh, that's a big one all because of me yikes and at first i was like really proud of it you know well yeah because then you're not the one you Mm -hmm. know on the very bottom of the yeah i was not the 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 rung on the ladder you know the very last one yeah i i to this day i regret it so classmate if you're listening to this (laughs) know that i've always regretted it and i've always felt really bad about it (laughs) and i'm real sorry i have been for 20 years (laughs) 20 years geez yeah yeah well yeah probably mine too yeah yikes what are you gonna do we all grow we change <laughs> i'll leave the instagram alone i'll stop looking at <laughs> stop it stalking. i stop looking at this person and judging <laughs> yes stop that <laughs> well who do we have today i have someone i was really excited to talk about her name is vicky draves don't know her. Don't know her? Mm-mm. She was the first American woman to win two gold medals in diving and the first Asian American to ever win a gold medal. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I can't dive, by the way. Oh, I, yeah. No. I just, like, kind of fall in the water. <laughs> I, I don't, we've never gone swimming together, have we? No. So you don't know that I, like, have to plug my nose with one hand? <laughs> I do, too. It's fine. I swim sometimes. One-handed. 
<laughs> I can, I can like, I do it when I jump in, but I can let go. Nope. Okay. Nope, I can't. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so when I was young, like when I was little, little, I was really into swimming and I had swimming lessons and everything was great. And then I started getting these chronic ear infections mm. and uh, I had to stay out of the water, obviously. And eventually I, it was chronic ear infections that also infected into my sinuses. And I had this whole thing that happened. Hence the reason why I was still a little nasally. Mm-hmm. They, it was just all screwed up and uh, I had to have hearing aids. Um, yeah, it was, I think I've talked about that before on the podcast that I had hearings, hearing aids as a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like basically was almost deaf in one ear uh, as a child. Um, eventually everything healed and, and I'm pretty much normal. Uh, I do have some hearing loss that stayed around. But uh, whatever happened in the course of that whole like head, ear, nose situation, I like no longer could push air out my nose very well. Oh. So that's why I have to hold my nose. Like even I, I even tried swimming with like those nose clips. Oh yeah. And they're either too tight and they like hurt so bad they like bruise everything or they're not tight enough. So they let water in and I get like those headaches. So if anybody out there is like, oh, I have the perfect (laughs) nose pincher for you, send it my way. I am really into the idea of eventually swimming without holding my nose. (laughs) Back to Victoria. There you go. So Victoria Manolo was born on New Year's Eve, December 31st, 1924, in the Soma, or South of Market District, of San Francisco. Her parents were Teofilo Manolo and Gertrude Taylor. So Teofilo was a musician. Her father was a musician and a chef. He had emigrated to the Philippines, or from the Philippines to California. And her mother was also an immigrant. She was from England. And the two of them married in 1924, which was the year that Victoria was born. Funny enough, Gertrude, her mother, actually came to the United States because her older sister had come to the United States Mm -hmm. and had married a Filipino man. And she was like, hmm, (laughs) that gentleman is fine. (laughs) And so she came to the United States and did the exact Exact same same thing. thing. (laughs) Uh, However, here's something I didn't know. Some of this I knew, some of it I was not aware of. So obviously... uh, in the 1920s, it was not really commonplace or acceptable to marry outside of your race, specifically for whites to marry outside of their race. And there were miscegenation laws that were on the books when her parents got married. So I'm going to talk a little bit about those laws. There was a California law passed in 1850 that prohibited marriages between whites and blacks or whites and people who were mixed, black and white. And then a further amendment was added in that same year to add Mongolians to the list of Hmm. you can't marry whites and Mongolians. But Filipinos, in a court decision that had been handed down, uh, Filipinos were considered Malays, and Malays were not Mongolians, and so Mm -hmm. therefore they could marry whites. It's so weird that you can just, like, pick. Oh, I know. It's very bizarre. You can't. Oh, you're kind of fine. Yeah, you can. Well, so so what had happened was um, people who were like Filipino or whatever were trying to like marry whites, like whites were trying to marry Filipinos and they were getting denied and they said, well, we're not Mongolians. And so the court agreed with them, you're not Mongolians. And so for a while there, they could marry. Mm -hmm. But in 1932, the California legislature was like, oh, we're going to fix that oversight. Jeez. And they made it illegal for Filipinos to marry whites um, because they were Malays. And so that happened in 1932, but that was after the Manolas had gotten married. Mm -hmm. So their marriage was already on the books and I guess it wasn't retroactive. So they were, they were considered married. So the prejudice against Filipinos, as you might imagine from the law was pretty terrible. Yeah. And so I told you that her, her mother's sister had also come to the United States Mm -hmm. um, from England and had married a Filipino man. Right. So that aunt worked at a famous hotel called the St. Francis Hotel in San Francisco. And she was constantly harassed at work by her white coworkers and supervisors for being in an interracial marriage. Mm -hmm. Just constant. 
and they would like do shit to her, like hide her food. Um, I mean, they just were terrible. Wow. Petty. Speaking of petty, yeah, beyond petty. This mm-hmm. is bullying. Yeah, petty is like, oh my God, did you see her shoes? They're so hideous. This is. I am going to target, like, harass this person because mm-hmm. I do not believe that they should have married outside their race. So, at this hotel, one day, her aunt's body was found at the bottom of an elevator shaft. Oh, my gosh. Her death was ruled an accident, but the family always believed that it was not an accident and that it had been targeted because she was married to a Filipino man. Oh, my gosh. That is crazy. Well, it's... It is and it isn't, right? I found it a little bit surprising that they attacked the white woman in the situation. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I guess her, like, they had been pressuring her to get divorced. And she was like, no, I'm not going to divorce my husband. Yeah. I love him. Yeah. We're going to stay together. And it was like after this repeated pressure of her to leave him to get divorced that she ended up in the bottom of an elevator shaft. So Vicky um, obviously is growing up in this moment where it's really racist, virulently racist. Mm-hmm. She and her family were poor because her her father obviously was never going to be allowed to like get really a really great job. And her mom didn't, I don't think her mom worked. There wasn't a lot of information about what her mom did. Um, but they were like a happy family mm-hmm. for the most part. Vicky was actually a twin. Oh, she had a twin sister named Consuelo who uh, went by Connie and they had an older sister as well who was named Francis who went by Frankie, which I think is really cute. <laughs> so they were Frankie, Vicky and Connie. <laughs> oh, that is really cute. <laughs> and they also had a younger brother named Sonny, but he died when he was young. Um, I think he had a like a pneumonia or a fever or mm. something. She wanted desperately to be like a ballet dancer or a gymnast, but those kinds of things required a lot of money because those lessons and coaches and so on and so forth. Yeah. So she could never go do those things, but she was like really naturally athletically gifted. So she had taught herself how to do like tumbles and she could really dance well, like just from watching people. She'd learned how to dance. She actually was kind of afraid of water. <laughs> And didn't start swimming until she was 10. Oh, wow. That's, yeah, that's re- pretty late. Yeah. And um, when she was 10, she was uh, started swimming at the Nickel Baths, which were in the Mission District. And they're just what they sound like. They were five cent admission fees to go in and swim in these little baths. And they had all different kinds of baths. And I um, have been to a place like this. This used to be very common, I think, in the 50s and 60s and and, and in her case, in the 30s. So it's mm-hmm. been around for a while, but I don't think they really exist much anymore. But you could like go to a facility where they would have multiple kinds of pools. There'd be like a hot pool and a cool pool and a sulfur pool. And like, you know, hmm. have you ever gone to a place like that? No. Yeah. Like you just, you swim or you just soak or? Both. Okay. You could go swim in the, in the big pool, but then there's always like all these little pools. It's real neat. Interesting. There's a place in outside of Bozeman that's actually called Bozeman Hot Springs. So the water is heated by natural hot springs. But they have like an outdoor hot tub. They have an indoor hot tub. They have a cooler hot tub. They have like a sulfur hot tub. They have the regular like Olympic-sized pool that's a regular temperature. They have like spring-fed pool. It's neat. Wow, yeah. When I was in college, we used to go there probably at least... At least once a month, especially in the winter, because it would be so warm and it is so cold in Montana in the winter. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of thing that she was learning how to swim in were these little baths. And uh, the in the summertime, the Red Cross would do swim lessons. Nice. And I don't I don't know if they were free, but because it's the Red Cross, I assume they were probably free. And if they weren't free, they were probably pretty cheap. Mm -hmm. And so that's how Vicky first learns how to swim is from the Red Cross. Uh, One thing I want to note is that this is at a time when um, public pools banned people of color. I was wondering about that. Or they would have like, you could come swim one time a month. That was Mm. the one time people of color were allowed. And after they would leave, they would drain the pool and wash it Mm -hmm. and then fill it back up for the whites. 
So they would swim sometimes, I believe, the once a month at the Fleischhacker pool, which was a public pool. And it was um, where, basically at the edge of the ocean. So you'd be like swimming in this pool next to the ocean. <laughs> and it was also, I believe, somewhere near Venice or it was in Venice. It didn't really say or 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 whatever the equivalent was in San Francisco because they had like a muscle beach. Oh, okay. And you remember like Pudgy Stockton? Yeah. Our bodybuilder and how she was like doing tricks and stuff and people would come watch them? Yeah. So that's what she started doing. She was like, she would go to this pool and then watch these people who were next to the ocean Sounds doing these like crazy little things. a fun way things. to pass time. Oh yeah, lots yeah. of people did. Remember we watched that video of everybody coming and watching? <laughs> yeah. So she one day was like, I think I could do one of those tricks. So she tried out one of these tricks and did it really well. And there was a boy watching and his name was Jack Lavery. And Jack was one of the members of the dive team from the Fleischhacker pool. And he was like, hey, have you ever thought about diving? And she was like, oh, my God, you're so cute. (laughs) I haven't, but I guess I should because you told me to. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And for real. She was like, I'm going to try diving because this cute boy says I should. Okay. And, she, you know, it's a good way to spend time with him, right? He's <laughs> yeah. diving. She can start diving. <laughs> I've definitely done some activities that I didn't give a fuck about, but I was like, he's doing it. And I want to get close to him. <laughs> yeah, that's the reason why I tried to skateboard for a while. <laughs> Let's just say I didn't turn out well for me. <laughs> so she took to the sport immediately. Innately talented. You know, she had been teaching herself how to do tumbles and things like that so she could incorporate that into her dives. And so she was 17 when she started diving. So Jack was like, you're good enough. I think you should actually join a team. You should get a coach. And so he introduced her to his coach, who was named Phil Patterson. So Phil Patterson coached at the Fairmont Hotel Swimming and Diving Club. So this is like an exclusive hoity-toity club. Mm. He saw talent in Vicky. He saw her dive and he was like, all right, I do want to coach you. But he was also racist. Mm. So he told her that he couldn't take her on as a member of his Fairmont Swimming and Diving Club team. Mm -hmm. So instead he created a special club called the Patterson School for Swimming and Diving. And she was the only member. (laughs) And for a while, when her biographies were being sort of written... That sort of like was meant to make him sound good. But in 2001, I watched an interview with her and she was like, hell no. It's because he was racist and he didn't want me. He wanted me separate from the whites. Mm -hmm. So he coached me separately. I couldn't be on the team with anybody else. So I think that's an important distinction to make Mm because it might make him sound good that he created a special club for her. But I don't think so. Yeah. He also told her that she wouldn't be allowed to compete under her name, Manolo. Okay. So it was too Filipino. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. So what did she have to do? Rita, what was your maiden name? My maiden name was Villanueva. Yeah. That's what I thought. I was yeah. like, Villanueva. That's a very, <laughs> like, very obviously sounding, Mexican sounding name, or yeah. at least Spanish speaking sounding name. So, like... I don't know if you're if another person in your family had a different name, but like they that would be the equivalent is if they were like, you cannot be an engineer unless you change your name to Smith. So basically they told her that she needed to take her mother's maiden name, which was Taylor. Okay. And that that's how that she would be able to compete. But she couldn't compete under her dad's name. Jeez. And Vicky and her mom were like, I don't know how we feel about this. Yeah. Like, Vicky felt really weird about it. Gertrude felt really weird about it. But Gertrude finally gave her permission. You know, like, I guess you can use my my maiden name. Uh, since this guy's telling us that that's the only way you're going to be able to compete. Mm-hmm. And he, my guess is the conversation was like, you're really super talented. I think you could go places, but you can't if your name is Manolo. Jeez. That's a really difficult choice. And I'm, I, I wish I knew what her father thought about that, but um, she said they never asked him. Hmm. And I imagine he just didn't want to tell her how he felt about it. So she never found out, like, if he was okay or upset. I imagine he would be a little upset. You yeah. Know, I don't know how you wouldn't be. Yeah. So Patterson was not only kind of racist, he was also, it seems like, not very good at his job. 
So his first lesson for Vicky for teaching her how to dive was to just watch what other people were doing and emulate it. So she would just have to watch other people? Yeah, and then go do what that person did. Okay. That's it. That was his, like, lesson. <laughs> so, so if somebody said, you want to ride a motorcycle? Just watch this person and get on the bike. Exactly. Okay, no. Like, that's not how you learn. No. And so, but I mean, again, she was innately talented. She already had a knack for it. So she did fairly well. She was able to, you know, do these dives. So at the time, um, women weren't allowed to do as many dives as men were allowed to do. So there were basically two events, the springboard and the platform. Okay. So the springboard is the one that's kind of lower to the water and is bouncy, hence the name springboard. Mm -hmm. The platform is that really, really wide one that's hard Mm -hmm. and it's really high up. So those are the only two that they were allowed to do. Yikes. Men could do others, but not women. And their, I believe their platform was lower than the men's. Okay. So Vicky did learn some things from Patterson, uh, but not a lot. You know, she's, I would imagine he's not a great coach. He sounds like a reluctant, lazy-ass coach. Yeah. Just, okay, you can't be with anybody else. Just do what they do. Just very dismissive. Well, I wonder if he was like that with other athletes or if he was only like that with her. Hmm. And there's not a lot of information about, and I didn't care to, like, dive into his biography. But while she's doing her diving, she's still attending school. So she's going to the um, she's going to high school, and then she enters into the San Francisco Junior College, and then she's doing hours and hours of dives after school. So she's and somebody somebody talked about how many dives that she was like, she was so committed. I think it was Sammy Lee who I'll get to in a minute talked about how committed she was. So she would do like ten dives at a time, and like would do that for hours so she do 10 dives so i think they were saying that she would do like 100 dives a week oh my gosh or in a day i can't remember it was a ton she was working really diligently under coach patterson until world war ii came oh and then he enlisted and as you can imagine world war ii was not a great time to be asian no it wasn't so the Fairmont pool closed down, and even if they hadn't, they were not going to allow her in there. And Vicky actually went to work at the local military base alongside Sammy Lee, who I mentioned earlier. He was another diver, and he was of Korean descent. And the two of them just were fast friends. And Sammy Lee uh, is in a video that I'm going to show you later, and I just think he looks so sweet and supportive, <laughs> and I just love him. And obviously, this racism is is worse than it's maybe ever been at this point against Asians. So she was barred from entering most pools in general, even public pools. Her family said that when she was allowed to train at a pool, they would drain it after she trained. Jeez. So because of these obstacles, she actually took about a year off from training altogether and joined a different program after that year, headed by a man named Charlie Sava. But he was really just a swimming coach. He didn't do a lot of diving. And he was like, I, I don't really know how to coach this diving program. I have a person in mind for you. Why don't you try out this guy? And so he sent her to Jimmy Hughes. And she worked for about a year under Hughes. But in that year, she improved pretty greatly she was able to attend her first national championship. Wow. And she came in third at the AAU nationals at age 19. And the two people that were ahead of her was uh, a woman named Helen Rose and a woman named Zoe Ann Olson. So I want you to hold that name. Okay. Second one. So the next AAU competition, which was at the Athens athletic club in Oakland, she met Zoe's coach, Lyle Draves. And it was clear that he knew how to coach. (laughs) Zoe was his protege, and she, like, swept every fucking competition. You know, Vicky was coming in third and watching this girl and just like, what? Mm -hmm. Like, she was so good. And so Vicky was like, I want him to be my coach. 
And so she asked him, will you coach me? And he was like, yeah, I'll do that. I'll take you on. Okay. And immediately he had to spend time retraining her. Oh, like maybe some bad habits in there. Yeah. Because she obviously wasn't coached properly. Exactly. (laughs) So so, while she had this like great inherent talent for diving, her techniques were frankly awful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And he spent like a whole year just trying to teach her how to do a proper approach on the board. Like just walk? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. To to like be able to be in the proper formation before you do your dive. And he coached her as if she was a complete novice to the sport. Like had never stepped on a diving board before. Mm -hmm. And at first she was like, fuck you. I've already come in third at nationals. But then she started to realize that she was lacking some of the fundamentals that would make her a better diver. And she really wanted to be a better diver. So... She swallowed her pride, went back, and did what he said. Hmm. He also didn't care about her diving under Manolo and thought she should absolutely dive under her fucking real name. Yeah. So he, uh, the first time he tried to enter her into a competition, he was told he couldn't. They were full. They couldn't take her. Hmm. And he was like, I don't think that's how this is. And so he put her on the roster anyway. And entered into the competition anyway. And the venue pulled her from the roster. Wow. The venue was the Fairmont. Oh, jeez. They couldn't and they wouldn't give him a specific reason why they kept pulling her name from the list. And he was like, I think I know why. Mm-hmm. And he was pissed. Yeah. And that was not the first time or the last time that he encountered this problem when trying to get her into a competition. And he was so enraged by the attitude of the San Francisco diving facilities and competitions that he packed up his program and he moved it to L.A. And she was like, well, what am I going to do now? I live here. Yeah. And he said, come down, come down to L.A. And so she did. She followed him to L.A. And at this point, their relationship has gone beyond coach and athlete. In a romantic way? Yes. Okay, that's... All right. It's a little weird. Yeah, how old is she now? She's got to be early 20s. Um, so by this point, it is... Yeah, she's probably about 21. Okay. And uh, I don't think Lyle is that much older than her. Okay. Um, he might be like... In his late 20s, early yeah. 30s. Still coach and Yeah, you, it's, student, it's that power it's imbalance. Messy, yeah. Nonetheless, they um, decide to get married. Okay. They get married on July 12th, 1946. And I read this interview with her, and the interviewer asked her if, if it affected the way he coached her when they got married. And this is what she had to say. We had a goal in mind, and I guess diving came first. I respected his teaching so much, and I wanted to be a top diver, which I knew I could if I stayed with Lyle. Okay. So that I th- to me, that was kind of interesting. I think, I think they must have separated in their own minds their, their diving relationship from their romantic relationship. Oof, that's difficult, but... Yeah, I don't even know how you'd you have do that. To. I couldn't have... Nick coach me, my husband. No. I'd fucking kill him. He'd kill me, probably. Well, and I wonder if it's because when she started under him, I think she was 19. Hmm. And so there was no questioning of that authority that he had. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's it, it's a little bit it's a little bit squicky there for me. You know, I they they stayed married their whole lives. Hmm. So they obviously they made it work. had some really great deep true genuine connection there but it doesn't mean that i don't find it a little bit strange to have happened in the first place Mm -hmm. so prove staying with him as a coach proved to be very advantageous for her she went on to win the 1946 47 and 48 u.s national diving championships in platform diving and she also placed high in the springboard diving events often just behind zoe ann olsen (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> little little rivalry right there just kind of like always happening 
that would get under my skin. Oh, I know. I was like, <laughs> God, I would probably hate that girl. Sorry! <laughs> so by 1948, she had won five U.S. diving championships and was ready for the Olympic trials, which were held in Detroit, Michigan. At the trials, she came in second on the springboard behind... Zoe. Yep. And won the platform, securing her a spot on the 1948 U.S. Olympic team. Nice. The 1948 Olympics were in London, England. So it's the first time for her to ever leave the country. Yeah. She never left the U.S. And it was the first Olympic Games since the Berlin Games in 1936. Wow. Because all of the other games in between had been canceled because of the war. So everyone was really keyed up (laughs) (laughs) to watch some sports happen. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, it had been a 12-year hiatus. So people were really stoked about these Olympics. 12 years. Yeesh. Yeah, that was the last time there had been an Olympics. So the diving competition actually went over a series of days. Like one event would take like two or three days to complete because every diver would go multiple times mm-hmm. and they would, I don't know if they averaged their scores. I was trying to really figure that out, but I think that's what they must have done. Or maybe it was the last dive that secured it. I'm not really sure, but they were assigned points per dive. Okay. So Vicky on the first four springboard dives she had done really well. And then it was, that was the end of the day. Their four springboard dives were done. So she returned to the dorms where they were all staying and was fucking on cloud nine, right? And Zoe Ann Olsen. <laughs> Zoe. <laughs> Zoe is like, remember, this is just day one. <laughs> like to take a look at her Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. We'll see who wins tomorrow. Oh. Yeah. Uh, challenge thrown. I know. She was, I mean, it felt a little, that felt a little bit spicy. Yeah. It was a little <laughs> bit pokey right there. So it was an extremely close competition between the two of them. And again, this is Zoe's, this is Zoe's event. This is the one that she, she came in the favorite for. She won the cha- national championships for. So they were very close coming up to the very last dive. And Zoe Ann was ahead on her seventh dive. And then mm. it was Vicky's turn. And then Vicky nailed her last dive. Nice. And it secured her the top spot. And for the very first time ever, an Asian American, and specifically a Filipino American, won a gold medal at the Olympics. Incidentally, awesome. her friend Sammy Lee was also at the Olympics diving for the men's team. And two days later, he won a gold medal. Oh, that's so awesome. So he became the first Asian American man to win a gold medal. But problematic. A couple of years ago, he was listed as the first Asian American to win a gold medal. Okay. Which had like erased Vicky Draves because she technically was the first two days before him. Yeah. And so they like just ignored her and he, he just became the first. And so the record had to be corrected. Like a lot of people thought it was Sammy Lee. Not his fault, right? He didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. It's just, it's just, even when we're talking about something like this that is on the books, we can still erase a woman's accomplishments in favor of a man's. And I even read some articles that were like, Sammy Lee and Vicky Jones were the first Asian Americans. And I was like, true, but she was the first first. Like, give her some goddamn credit. Yeah. I know it's only two days, but it's two days. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so Vicky's next event was the one that she was actually favored in. This is the platform. But for whatever reason, she was like fucking nervous as hell. She was like, I'm not going to do well. I'm going to fail. I understand that. Yeah. She had been in her practice dives, not been doing well on Ooh. the platform. Just had been fucking Her nerves up. are getting to her. Yeah, I think that's what it was. It's like her nerves are just killing her. And in fact, she was sitting next to Sammy. And in between each of her dives, she was just shaking. And at one point, she turned to him and she was like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. I want to quit. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to finish this. And he looked at her and he was like, you came all of this way and you are going to give up now? Get up there and do what you're supposed to do. Yeah. I had a moment like that once um, I was running my second marathon and I 
was pacing myself with just a watch. I That's how I've always trained, was just a watch and that's it. And I was like, my watch was my my solid ground, you know? And so I'm like there and I'm like, okay, I got my, got my tablets. I've got this, I got my gels. Take a look at my shoes, make sure laces are in. Okay, all this stuff. And I went to look at what time it was and I didn't put my watch on. <gasps> no. And I was like, <laughs> Suddenly that like blanket of safety. Yeah, everything went down and I was like, I can't, I can't do this without the watch. And I was like, yes, you can. Like, just don't, don't go there. So this pep talk from Sammy is apparently exactly what she needed. So she did really well on her first two dives. Her next two dives were not very good. And I think that's when she started to really have those nerves. Yeah. And then he was like, get up there and get this shit done. And so on that fifth dive, she did a a flawless swan dive. And that was, she basically perfected the technique of the swan dive that we see today. She got up there and she said that um, this is what she was saying to herself. I tell you, it was like somebody else did the dive for me. I sort of sailed through it and I knew I hit it when I was underwater. So before her head even came out of the water, the audience was on their feet roaring so they knew that she'd nailed it, that she was the winner, and she did, in fact, win. This is her second gold medal for the U.S. team, the first woman to ever do so in the sport of diving. Cool. I'm going to show you a video of her actually diving at the Olympics. Okay. Um, it's kind of repetitive because it's just these dives over <laughs> and over again. Uh, but I just want you to see, like, her husband, Lyle, slash coach, and Sammy Lee and her and Zoe, they're all in this. Ooh. So these people become uh, like real people. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> Isn't it cool to watch it? Yeah, very much. It's so, it looks simple, but you know it's not. Yeah. Every single little movement is planned, calculated, thought out. And Vicky was a very small person. I think I think I read somewhere that she was like five foot one. She looks tiny. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that was really to her advantage. Because she made such a little splash. And that's one of the things they they, they grade you on mm-hmm. is um, how big of a splash you make. Because the bigger the splash, the more like out of sync you are with the way the dive is supposed to look. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so she inherently already had this compact, smaller body. Mm-hmm. Like I made a comment about one of the divers has like really massive thighs. Not in a bad way, but like you just tell they are strong. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's going to make a bigger splash. Yeah. Well, that <laughs> muscle hitting the water. Yeah, definitely. So after the Olympics, Vicky immediately went professional. She also was... Uh, chosen by life magazine for a big photo spread which gained her a lot of fans and fame um they named her the the top they picked out two athletes from the u.s olympic team and that was who they said were the top two athletes of the team and she was one of them and uh she actually uh immediately went and performed in this like exhibition show that meant that she missed the olympic parade (laughs) oh so Sammy Lee was like, oh, I got all your stuff for you. <laughs> I picked up your medals. She uh, also traveled in or did some sh- traveling shows uh, that went around and and uh, even did some stuff with Jesse Owens and Flash Gordon. So just really cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I've ever been to like that was um, way back in the day. This is going to age me a little. When Ye olden times, <laughs> I uh, watched the U.S. figure skating uh, team do their little tour mm-hmm. because I was like really into Nancy Kerrigan at the time. <laughs> so I got to see Nancy Kerrigan and Chrissy Yamaguchi skate. That awesome. was really a big deal to me. So that's the kind of thing I think that she was doing, except with diving. Yeah. So she and Lyle were also invited by the government of the Philippines to come to the Philippines. Oh, that's really cool. Vicky had never been to the Philippines. So she was real stoked about it. And it was like an incredible life experience. They were there for almost a full month for 29 days. And during that time, they were invited to stay at the palace. And they also went and visited some of her father's relatives whom she'd never met before. 
And she and so she could see where her father grew up. By this point, by the way, her father died. Her father died when she oh. was a teenager. Okay. Um, so it was really important and special to her to be able to go and visit where he had come from and her family that she'd never met. She also was asked to do a performance at the Rizal Stadium, which is a huge stadium in the Philippines, and other venues. And she also was invited to perform for the president, El Pidio uh, Quirino. So she did that. And uh, she went on to um, do a lot more like diving and stuff in these shows until the 1950s. And that's when she decided to retire from diving to become a mother. Okay. So her and Lyle had four sons. Woof. David, Jeffrey, Dale, and Kim. <laughs> all of whom then went on to become divers. And they, the couple ran a swimming and diving program at Indian Springs in Montrose and later moved that to Encino, California. And they, that's what they did for a long time. They ran this diving and swimming program. And she ended up being a, a mentor to a lot of women who went on to become Olympians. In 1969, Vicky Manolo Draves was inducted into the International Swimming Hall of Fame in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So that happened nice. when she was still alive and still like in her prime. It's 1969. <laughs> so she had grown up, obviously, in the San Francisco Bay Area. And uh, in 1979, the San Francisco Chamber of Commerce created a Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame. So she would be like an ideal candidate for this it bash off, right? Yeah. Because she's from there. She's the first American woman to win two gold medals in diving. She was the first Asian American to ever win a gold medal. Filipinos and Asians in general were like really big cultural community in San Francisco. So like it makes sense, right? Like you should induct her as one of your in first inductees. Makes sense. Uh, they didn't. Her name has been on the list every single induction and they have passed her over every single time. What? To this day. Holy shit. Isn't that infuriating? Why? I don't know. I mean, their, their excuse was, because I watched a little um, documentary about it, okay. like a little clip about it, and their excuse is, is that the way that they're... The way that their system and voting works, it just doesn't, it just isn't her time yet. And I, it, it, it didn't matter to me. It just was like, obviously we've got some racism and sexism happening here. Yeah. And when I looked at the list of everybody, cause I went to their website and I was like, well, who the fuck did they induct? Yeah. Almost all of the inductees have been men and the ones who were not were white women okay. for the most part. I did not see, cause like I would have had to click on every single name to find out who they are yeah but when i was just glancing at it and trying to figure out like who did i know and who did i not know it was like so few women in general almost all white men Jeez, it was just annoying yeah and under um whatever track and field i think that's what caitlin jenner did caitlin jenner is on there but obviously listed as bruce jenner no updated Mm-hmm. Gross. Yeah. I was yeah. like, oh, so that's who you are. Yeah. I get it now. I see what this is about. Yeah. So this oversight to me is pretty awful. I It was really irritating. And I'm not the only one. And in fact, there was this group of Filipino-American students, leaders, and activists in the Bay Area who were like, fine. If you're not going to honor her, we're going to make it happen. Okay. So they decided that they wanted to find a monument for her. And they found out that her old elementary school that her and her twin sister Connie went to mm -hmm. was being torn down. And that would make a great place for a park named in her honor. Oh, nice. So in 2005, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors unanimously adopted a resolution to name a new park after Vicky Manolo Draves at that spot where she went to elementary school. It is a two-acre park, one acre for every gold medal she won. Yay. And uh, it, to this day, it's got like a little plaque there and says everything about her upbringing and stuff like that. And in the spot, apparently, where it was, was, it was also really important um, with Filipino-American history regarding the Philippines' war. 
And uh, you can find out more information on that, but it was really quite touching, I found, to have that be the spot that they honored her. Mm-hmm. Lyle and Vicky moved to Palm Springs in the mid-90s, which is a beautiful area. Yeah. And they lived out the rest of their time together comfortably in Palm Springs. Vicky Manolo Draves died on April 11th, 2010, at age 85, from complications of pancreatic cancer. Oh. On August 3rd, 2020. Hey. She was honored with a Google Doodle, and each of her sons uh, contributed to it. David said this of his mother. With all the success and fame my parents received for their amazing achievements and contributions to the sport of diving, the one thing they both showed my brothers and I was humility. And Jeff added, like my brothers, I also value the important virtues my mother instilled in our lives. She was a famed Olympic medalist. So there were plenty of opportunities to teach us about arrogance and conceit. But instead, through how she lived her life, she taught us the importance of humility and humbleness. Similarly, her influence showed me that nothing was more important than family. Mm. And I just wanted to point this out because I think it's real sweet and neat. Vicky Manolo Draves was obviously a champion. And obviously, she was destined to be one. Here's a little fun fact. The name Victoria, which was her full name, Mm -hmm. means victory in a lot of languages, including English. And Manolo Manolo in Tagalog, which is one of the main languages in the Philippines, Mm -hmm. uh, Manolo means uh, win. Oh, that's really cool. So her name is literally (laughs) win-win. I like it. And she did. She got two medals. Yeah, she won two gold medals. She was win-win. She did it. She won twice. And that is the story of Vicky Draves. Oh, that was really cool. I liked this one a lot. I did too. I like her a lot. And she's just so spunky and cute. Yeah. And, you know, even I can't imagine as a young person just hitting every wall like she did beginning her this career, you know, and eventually her victory. But it's just those little things constantly remind me of just like when you hit that wall and you want to give up and you're. You just got to keep pushing and those choices that you make, like having to change her name, I bet that mm. hurt. And I bet till her end of days, she probably didn't ever live that down. Yeah. I, I'm sure there was probably some deep wound there, yeah. you know, that even if, even if she cognitively knows and understands that she was put in a position where that was just, that was what she had to do. Yeah. I think you would always just kind of feel shitty about it. Yeah. You but know, it's doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good, but I, I like that she kept trying. She mm-hmm. just kept going. Yeah, she definitely was persistent. Mm-hmm. I really uh, admire her a lot. Mm-hmm. And I had never heard of her before. Me neither. So I was really happy to hear her story. Very cool. So I'll tell you who my sources were. There were quite a few of them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, used this um, interview by Dr. Margaret Costa, called An Olympian's Oral History, Vicki Draves. Obviously, I used some Wikipedia and Google Doodle. A Newsweek article called Who is Vicki Draves? Google Doodle celebrates an American Olympic diver by Saren Morris. A, um, a profile of her that was on YouTube by a cameraman named Leland Evans. That's where I saw the interviews with her. They were not very well done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, the, a New York Times and a uh, sorry, a New York Times obit by Frank Litsky and an LA Times obit by Dennis McClellan. An article in I actually used two articles in the San Francisco Chronicle. One called "Vicky Draves Pioneer Olympian Made Quite a Splash" by Dwight Shapin, South of Market Filipinos Campaign for a Diver, Kathleen Sullivan and Cicero Estrella. And then last but not least, but my most important one was an article called The Olympic Triumph of Vicky Manolo Draves by Rodel Rodas for Global Nation Inquirer. Very cool. And there we have it, folks. Thank you so much. Enjoyed yeah, this one. I did too. It's fun. Well, we want to say, of course, thank you again to our editor, Lucas. Thank you, Lucas. And to Jennifer Finch of L7 for providing our super fun theme song. 
Badassery. (laughs) Thank you all for supporting us and continuing to listen. Please tell your friends. And uh, if you haven't already done so, please check us out on Patreon. We would love to get a few more subscribers. We're uh, about to send out merch. We're just waiting on some t-shirts. And then we'll be ready to go. And also, if you're a Patreon, don't forget, we have a brand new uh, bonus episode coming out this week it probably will already have been released by the time you listen to this so if you haven't listened to it already go back and listen to it it's a real fun one <laughs> it is it is this is a really fun it, one it's really fun all right till next time folks bye-bye Hey, Lucas, can you cut out that first uh, until next time, folks? Because I I fucked it up. (laughs) (laughs) I like it when we talk directly to Lucas. Isn't that fun?